Glad to have everybody here today. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, I think everybody's, even the men are going to enjoy this message. Um, It'll be good. And uh, this is what I believe. I believe when you come to church, no matter what is spoken, if you come with an expectancy, God will speak to you no matter what. If you need help in your finances, he'll talk to you about your finance. If it's health, if it's your relationship, if it's your marriage, if it's your kids, if it's you, which that would be all of us, God will speak to you and deal with you. Amen? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is the good news translation. The good news translation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do, and he will show you the right way. Amen. You know, when it comes to uh, women in ministry or women uh, being involved in church, uh, there's whole denominations that are against that. And, uh, I mean, they believe that uh, we're going to start off with the very first scripture in 1 Corinthians that talks about let the women be silent. You know, and, and the bottom line is this. I, I think you can take something from Scripture and make a whole doctrine and theology thing about that. And, uh, and let's just be honest. Every one of us have been wrong about some kind of interpretation of the Word. And we are probably still wrong in some area. Nobody has perfect theology. Can I get an amen from our, our church? Nobody has perfect theology. And so uh, we're all growing in that. Paul himself even said that I press toward the mark. And he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. But um, obviously we don't interpret that because we have Melody speaking, we have women speaking, and we 100% believe that God has gifted women. Matter of fact, I think Melody's a better teacher than me. So, uh, But uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, this is the scripture that's based upon women being silent. Verse 34 and 35, let your women keep silent in the churches. There you go. How do you like that starting off? Women, just be quiet. When you're in church, be quiet. Once you leave the building, then you can talk. I think it's funny myself, you know, I... I'm reveling in this just a little bit before we move on. Oh, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn any to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. And that's why we don't believe in women preachers. That's sarcasm. For those who are watching, we do believe in women preachers. Some people just shut me off right there. But this is the thing. You know, that's why we, you should read the whole Bible. Because in, in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, Paul says women can speak and prophesy. In chapter 11, he says women, you know, you have to have the doily thing, you know, to be covered, you know, but you, you can prophesy. And, uh, and there's a reason for that, you know, with head coverings. Uh, they're, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, anyway, it says in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, that women can prophesy. And now in verse 14, he says, women, you make sure you're silent. So w- what's going on here, Paul? What, do you, what are you talking about? 
This is the thing. I spoke on this two years ago, but I think it's just something that we need to be mindful of. Plus, there's new people that come. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that is responding to the Corinthians who wrote Paul. Are you following? And it says that in verse, uh, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So 1 Corinthians is a response to the, uh, the letter that the Corinthian church wrote to Paul. Are you following? That's good to know. That is good to know. Because in the Greek, see when something it just goes crosswise with the Bible. That, you know, people say, well, see the Bible, uh, it contradicts itself. No, you just need to maybe dig a little bit deeper. All right? And so we're digging a little bit deeper. Verse 34 and verse 35. Those two verses together in the Greek, there is a small quotation mark at the beginning of 34 and at the end of 35 in the Greek. So what does that mean? He is quoting something that they wrote to him and he's responding. Are you following me? That's vital to know. So, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 36. 35 is where the end of the quotation. Verse 36, or yeah, verse 36, he says, Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. So Paul is quoting them, what they said, and then he turns right around, and I mean, he's slapping them upside the face. That word or, it says it begins with or, verse 36, it begins with or. It's used in various ways at times, but Paul uses this Greek insignia. It's an emotional rebuttal to express a disapproval of existing situations. It's called, this is what it's called, an explicitive of dissociation by Greek scholars. The closest thing that we would have to that, that and how we would express that, we would go like, what? Oh, that's nonsense. Or no way. Or even more like, get out of here. That's how we would respond to something like that. So that's what Paul was saying when he used that word or. It's just a, But in the Greek, it's not just or. No, it's like, what? Are you kidding me? So in other words, Paul quotes what they have said about women to be silent, and then he replies, that's nonsense. you got to be kidding me. Did the word of God originally originate with you? Doesn't this make sense? I mean, you know, and, there's, and it's unfortunate there's Christians today I remember when we first moved to Pueblo West, we uh, did our neighborly thing. We invited this older couple who lived uh, around just down the street from us. And so they came over and, you know, so we came up about God, of course. You know, we're talking about God and everything. And, and I just opened up. I said, yeah, my wife, you know, she just spoke last Sunday at our church. And this guy just, the vein popped out. He started ripping me and saying, you know, you, you, you're a pastor and you let women speak in your church? 
and my wife is so sweet, she kicked me underneath the table. That was because she knows me, and I was about ready to go. Okay, man, take my coat off, and I'm ready for you, buddy. I was just going to blast him with a word. You know, Christians do that sometimes. We use the word as a sword and just chop people up. That's not what the word is meant for, by the way. I'm just showing you my humanity, and my wife knew my humanity, so she was kicking me out of the table like, drop this, do not go there. And you'd be so proud of me, I dropped it. I think I said a couple of sentences, but I did drop it. I did drop it. But, uh, of course, they never came over again, but uh, they ended up moving, uh, you know, right after that. I don't know if it was because of us, but they moved. But uh, my point is this. It's a shame that there are churches and denominations that are cutting out 50% of the population of their gift. Are you hearing me? And, uh, and there may be some people watching me now that just goes, well, I don't know about that. Well, there's too many examples of women ministering in the Bible to, that you're going to base your doctrine, even if you disagree with the Greek, which I don't know why you would, that he's quoting them. And in the same letter, he says, let women prophesy. I mean, they're prophesying by God. This is what God is saying. And then you're saying that, you know, women keep silent. So what's going on here? There is an explanation. The explanation is that he was rebuttaling the letter that the Corinthian church wrote to him and saying, no, this is absolutely insane. But, um, but Paul praised women in Romans chapter 16. He praised them. And like I said in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, women... You know, just make sure you have the head covering and all of that. And there's a reason for that. During that, you have to know a little bit about culture. Uh, the temple prostitutes would braid their hair, have lots of makeup and jewelry, etc. So women covered their hair so no one would think you're like the temple prostitutes. When we first moved to Africa as missionaries, I don't know if it's like this today. Monty and Vicky, y'all may they keep up with stuff like that. But when we first moved there, women. Uh, if you were a Christian, you wore a skirt or a dress. You did not wear pants, slacks, is that what they call them? Or shorts, definitely not shorts. You did not do that. And there is a reason. It's because the prostitutes wore shorts and pants. And that's how you could tell somebody was a prostitute. He wore shorts and pants. And it was a cultural thing. Now, we had some guests come over, and there was this one young girl, and she goes, well, I'm wearing shorts. I tell you what, she... And she did. She wore shorts. Holy cow. Did everybody talk? I mean, talk. And so Mom Hagemeyer just, come here, sweetie. This is why we don't wear shorts. And she, she goes, oh, I didn't know. I just thought you all were being religious or whatever. Goes, no, everybody's looked at you and thought, there goes a pretty prostitute. <laughs> so you don't know. Is it st- have they changed or can women wear pants and shorts? No. Immodesty, so not short shorts, but you can wear shorts. Can you wear pants? Oh, no shorts, just pants. So you're still a prostitute if you wear shorts. Okay, got it. (laughs) Got it. That's in Africa, so for those people who are watching, like, oh, you don't believe in shorts, do you? No, I didn't say that. I don't wear shorts because my legs glow in the dark. (laughs) And I'm fine with that, by the way. 
Anyway, I'm not against shorts. Anyway, so does everybody get that, though? Doesn't that make sense, though? When you, when you look at the Word of God like that, knowing that Paul throughout, and, and throughout the, from Genesis to, uh, this is the thing that women, do you know who followed Jesus more than anybody? It was women. You know why? Because Jesus brought women to the same equality as man. You, you look at history, and I'm telling you what, women were property. Women were, uh, they were so much further down the, the food chain. I mean, it was terrible. But Jesus elevated women, and they realized that. And so women followed Jesus because he was, I mean, to be a follower of Jesus, man, you, you really wanted to be a woman because he elevated them. You're equal. You're equal. And uh, we're going to prove that again. And uh, this is the story of the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 5, it says this. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which that would be about 12 noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Question mark. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And it was true. Samaritans and Jews, they were, I mean, Samaritans were outcasts. They were outcasts with the Jews. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus, verse 13, answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may now thirst, nor come here to draw. In other words, I won't ever have to come back to this well again. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I believe you're a prophet. <laughs> so he, she, she realized that. He knows that I've had five husbands and I'm living with a guy. Now, he knows all of that. And it was so true. It's like, I'm not denying it. You know the story. You must be a prophet. So uh, this is the whole point of the story. Jesus is going to have to, Jesus wants to minister to this woman. And he's going to have to work through some barriers that this, and walls that this woman has put up. First, the first barrier was rejection. She said, you Jews reject us. So Jesus was going to have to work through this rejection of the Jews. 
In John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus plows through this rejection because uh, she never wanted to have to come back to this well. Why would she not want to have to come back to this well? you got to know a little bit about culture, and this is that you draw water from the well in the morning, not midday. For several reasons, because you need water throughout the day, and it gets hotter during noon. So all, And it was the women's chore or duty, if you want to call it that. They were the ones who would get the water. And so they would all the women of the town would go in the morning to get this water. She was there at noon. Why? Why? Well, the first thing that women would know about her is she's had five husbands. And so what do it's going like at the water cooler at work sometimes. People start talking. Oh, here she comes. Here she comes. And everybody, all the women would start talking about this woman. So why would five men, you know, divorce her? This is another thing. I've heard sermons about this, people saying, yeah, see, she just gets this divorce, you know, she's that type of woman or whatever. No, 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 no. People have often thrown the woman underneath the bus, like, yeah, she's had five husbands. You don't realize the culture. It was impossible for the woman to ever divorce the man. A woman could not divorce. She didn't have the authority or the power. It was the man and the man only who divorced the woman. So now you think, why did five men divorce her? I mean, so many things go through your mind. Again, the culture, the most important thing, the culture at that time was to have kids. She obviously could not have children. So one man tried, second man tried, she didn't have kids with him. Third man, still, four, five, five men rejected her because she couldn't have children. So this woman is dealing with major rejection. So that's why women talk about it. Oh, yeah, here she comes. So still can't get pregnant, huh? Still can't have any kids. What kind of woman are you? Oh, you're, you're not even a woman. You shouldn't even call yourself a woman. You're not a woman. And they were talked about her. So what would she do? She avoided that and would come at noon. She avoided all of that. So she felt rejected by the Jews. She felt rejected by men. She felt rejected by the women. She felt rejected by God because she can't get pregnant. She probably blamed God. But the person who was coming in contact with her was Jesus, who was called a man of sorrows and a man of rejection. He was going to become that on the cross. John chapter 4, verse 20. So tell me this. This is the Passion Translation. Why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain? This is the woman talking. But your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. Jesus responded. Now she's dealing with all of this, so she just jumps, abandons ship, and she starts talking about God and worship. Verse 21 says, Believe me, dear woman. The time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. 
We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. Listen to what Jesus said to her. Because it's true for you and me today. From here on, worshiping God will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. It just lit her up. And she had revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. He wasn't just a prophet. So another area to overcome for her was the area of religion. But don't you think it's interesting that Jesus didn't talk to her about theology or about other things that we focus on? You know, we get so carried away. And listen, theology is important. You know, just like women being able to speak, that's theology. So I'm not saying it's not important. But it's not the main thing. Jesus ministered to her the main thing. He didn't talk to her about theology. He wasn't talking to her about where to worship. Theology is important. I'm not trying to say that. But what's most important are matters of the heart. The heart. He said that it's the heart's the main thing. Romans 10.10. 10. You know, people say, you need to... Make sure you do this or do this to be saved. Romans 10.10 10 says there's only one thing. It says, believe with your heart, and thou shalt be saved. Believe with your heart. The most important thing is the heart. Because what's in here will manifest out here. No matter what you say with your brain, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You can say th things with your brain but not truly mean it. But out of the heart, the Bible says, flow the whole issues of life come out of that. It's the most important thing. So that's why I go to God and I say, okay, God, listen to me. I say this quite often. I says, I don't know everything in my heart. I could be deceived and not know. You know the problem with deception? You don't know it. You know, wouldn't it be nice if something went off inside of you? You go, oh, I'm being deceived. I'm being deceived. I'm being deceived. You know? It's like, you know, when you get lost, when you drive. My wife says she never gets lost. She's just exploring. She explores a lot. But anyway, the point is, you know, you, you keep driving. You keep driving when you're, when you're lost. You think you're going the right way. You know, I've done that. You know, I've worked for FedEx, and so I, I'll be driving, and, and all of a sudden I realize, hmm, I'm not going the right way. But it wasn't like I crossed the line and go, oh, I'm, I'm ding, 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 ding. You know, something went off. I, I'm lost. 
No, it just you just keep going, you keep going, and then there comes a time when, hmm, I'm lost. Or I'm exploring. I'm really exploring this area. Melody's explored this whole city and county. But anyway, that you just you just don't know it. It's the same way with deception. I can guarantee you, me as well as all of you are deceived in some area. I know that it's not going to be something you put on your refrigerator, but the thing is, and that's why we need not to be so critical of people. Uh, That's why we need not to be so critical of people. As if, you know, we're all perfect and we're all of our I's are dotted and T's are crossed and our theology is perfect. Nobody has perfect theology, by the way. I don't care what ministry you highly look at or whatever, they are not perfect, including this one. But the great thing is, evidently God's okay with that. Not okay like he he wants it, but he's like, "I, I can still use you. I'll still bless you. I'll still speak to you, and you're still my child. I mean, let's just face it. Our children, I mean, sometimes you think, oh, dear Lord, have mercy. Especially when they grow up and you don't have a lot of say-so about their choices. And you just think, <laughs> Jesus, help us all. But anyway, I mean, you, but you, you just know. You, but do you still love them? Absolutely. I've got some Catholic blood in me. But anyway, you just love them. <laughs> For those who think I'm being mean. I mean, you just love them. You love the, your children. When they're messed up, when they're choosing wrong, you don't go, Man, I tell you what, I'm just writing you off. No, you just keep loving them. And if some of your children are missing it, which more than likely there's people here that their children are, you just keep loving them. Don't get the whip out and try to beat them every time you see them. If you do that, they'll quit, they'll quit showing up, just so you know. If you're being critical of them and trying to say and trying to still be and treat them like when they're eight or nine, they will not come around. I've, I've counseled with parents before, you know, and their children up. You, you know, I'm saying, you know, first of all, you just need to love them and do that. Well, you know, they're believing wrong in this. I just feel like I got and you know what? They didn't listen to me, and their children left, quit, and they ended up, and they have no relationship with their kids. That's not good. You know, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell them the way it is. You can do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't instruct, but you better do it under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and you know it's God and not you using the sword. You know, and that's what... A lot of Christians do. I know the word of God. That's the problem. But you have you had an experience of the one that you're welding that sword with? Because that's what matters. That's what Jesus was telling the woman at the well. He wasn't just getting the word and go, yeah, you big fat heathen man. You've been married five times. Man, what are you, a prostitute or something? What's wrong? No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He loved her. Not only did he love her. He gave her a golden nugget was the main thing. He said, doesn't matter where you worship, sweetheart. What matters is of the heart. The heart. So you can be in Samaria and you can worship God. He wants you and me, just like that woman, to experience 
the love of God and acceptance. That woman, her whole life was rejected up until that time and that moment. Because you know what happened after that? I know she got the revelation because she went back to the city. Talking about women preachers, here we go. She went back to the city and told the good news. What's a preacher? Somebody who tells the good news. She told, went back to the town and said, come and hear of a man who told me everything. And who loves me and accepts me even in the middle of all my rejection. She told everybody, and the Bible says the whole town showed up to Jesus. And then Jesus taught them, and they said, now we know because we hear what he is saying. They were experienced. The Samaritans had a revival. There's a scripture. I don't know if I got it down or if I gave it to you. Uh, yeah. John 4.35. Now, this is a Samaritan town now. Remember, Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. John 4.35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes a harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for a harvest. He was talking to his disciples. You know what they saw, though? Listen to me. This is, again, a cultural thing. Samaritans wore white. Their culture. They wore white clothing. No colors, all white. Here's the whole town coming, a bunch of people dressed in white. Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says, you're believing for the harvest? He says, I'm telling you, they're white. And here they are. Is that awesome? Whole town of Samaria got turned on to Jesus. Turned on to Jesus. The Samaritans, the glory was revealed. Listen to me. The glory of God was revealed in the midst of people feeling rejected. The glory of God was revealed to a woman that was despised by everybody. Jesus proved to his disciples that he wasn't there just for the Jews. He was there to love people and to minister to them no matter where they were at. Because they thought, hey, what are you doing talking to us? First of all, two things. Not only was he talking to a Samaritan, but he was talking to a woman. Which was not even on the, the food chain at all at that time. You know, women, are, no, you don't talk to women. What are you doing talking to women? Jesus not only talked to a woman, he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And he ministered life to her, and her whole life was transformed. And because she believed whole city was transformed. That's the goodness of God. And he wants to do that on a continual basis. In your life, to your relatives, to the rejected ones in your family, to the rejected people of our city and nation, people you don't feel like they measure up, that's the one who goes, I'm going to minister to you. I want to minister life to you. I'm just telling you, Let's not be critical like the disciples even, you know, like, what are you doing? She's a Samaritan, and she's a woman. We, we don't talk to them. That's just, you know, we don't do that. Jesus breaks out of the mold. Breaks, he breaks traditions of man. He's in the business of breaking traditions of men to show how truly 
good he is. Amen? So, I just pray that all of us, especially on this Mother's Day, that we have appreciation for all people. We have appreciation for women. We have appreciation for all different races. We have appreciation for mankind because Jesus came to die for every single person. The worst of the worst, the rejected of the rejected, and even the good. Even the good people. But we all have to realize it's not because of our goodness that we have God's acceptance. It's because of Jesus. We always need to be mindful of that, no matter what. Amen? Let's stand. Praise God. I just love, you know, seeing the, the Bible unfolded like that, and it shows that God loves people, that God loves us. Even no matter how many times you mess up, how many times, you know, there's people who says, well, I've been divorced. You know, I've been divorced three times. I've been divorced five times. I've been divorced eight times. You think, man, you know what Jesus looks at? Just like the same way he looked at that woman. God still loves you. And he just wants you to have a revelation so that can stop. I mean, that's divorce. People get hurt, obviously. Bad things happen. But it doesn't mean that life is over or that your life can never be on a good thing. No, that's why we turn to Jesus in the midst of anything that's going on, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a breakup, whether it's whatever it could be. I'm telling you, there's the hope of Almighty God to intervene just like that, supernaturally. That's a very common thing right there. You're just thinking nobody at that time probably even thought that was a supernatural thing, but that was a supernatural thing that happened. But it looked very just like day in, day out life. Here comes somebody talking at a woman at a well. What they don't realize is it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And he was not only going to transform a woman, but I believe he not only transformed a city, I believe that the disciples were changed. I believe they started seeing things differently. You and me as church people, we need to see Pueblo differently. We need to see everybody differently. You know, you see somebody and go, ah, oh, they're homeless. Oh, yeah. What's your, how, how do you just start perceiving people? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And God wants us to, our perception to be totally different of people, of the outcast, or the highfalutin rich. It's both, you know. I mean, the gospel is not just for the poor or just for the down and out. It's for everybody. I said it's for everybody. The good news is from everybody, from the top of the, the, the CEO who's making billions of dollars to the person who's down and out and homeless and everybody in between. The gospel, the good news. For God so loved the whole world. He loves us all. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name. On this Mother's Day, oh, that the good news of the love of God of us to 
just open up Rocky Mountain Family Church us to see our heart, Lord. For us to see our heart and to believe from our heart and things that need to be changed in our heart, things that, uh, that maybe we've been deceived in our heart, that that would come to light. Paul said to pray this, that the eyes of our understanding, that we would be enlightened because there may be some dark things that are covered up or hidden and behind closed doors. And man, God, you don't want us to feel shameful about those things. You want the door to be open so the light of the good news can flood each and every department of our heart. So we believe that, Lord. That it changed the way that we think about ourselves, change the way that we'll think about others. In Jesus' name. Amen.